The Aboriginal peoples of the Kulin Nations are the traditional custodians of the lands now named City of Greater Dandenong. We acknowledge, recognise and respect Elders past, present and emerging and their continuing connections to climate, culture and country. Books, events, and conversations with the team at Greater Dandenong Libraries. I'm Lee, and in this episode, Susanna and Trent discuss the 1953 dystopian novel Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. Deborah gives us a bookmatch recommendation for a patron with an interest in the environment and stories with science and climate change and more. Robin interviews the library's diversity and literacy librarian, MyVan. And we have staff reviews from Sarah and Niaz. Hope you enjoy. Greetings, listeners. We welcome you to today's book chat, or this month's book chat. And it is me, Trent, and we have Susanna as well. Hey. Welcome along to our book chats. I hope you enjoy this one, your inaugural. We mm-hmm. are going to be reading a seminal text, as high school students and literature teachers will call it. We're reading Fahrenheit 451, The Temperature at Which Books Burn, mm-hmm. by Ray Bradbury. Yeah, um, dystopian. It's a small book, but, geez, it's got a lot, lot of packs a, packs a punch, and I think still remember. <laughs> Susanna, I guess the first mm-hmm. thing is, do you think it's more relevant now or then? <laughs> or oh, gee, well, it was written in the 1950s, so it was it was definitely relevant with the Cold War, with you know um, the Soviet Union and America. But it's actually perfectly perfectly relevant for what we're going through right now, which is our own um, dystopia f- um, nonfiction. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, that the book would have been inspired primarily by the Nazis in Germany. For sure. Yeah, actually, the whole the whole thing about censoring um, education and silencing people is also, not only is it Nazi Germany, but we also saw that later on in the 20th century with the Khmer Rouge in places like Cambodia. Um, you know, yeah. so it's, uh, it's, it's very relevant to a whole lot of different um, dictatorships. Yes, yes, the smothering of information. Yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of um, in terms of the relevance with today, um, even though we don't we don't live in in those type of um, dictatorship dictatorships as such, it is definitely um, you know very dystopian the world that we're existing now. And I think when Ray Bradbury um, first wrote the book, um, he he wrote it in the fifties and. He was looking forward to, you know, 2049. So the book's actually set in about um, nearly 30 years from now. So maybe it could come true. We still don't know yet, do we? No, no. Um, it shouldn't come true. <clears throat> we work in libraries and people are borrowing pretty, pretty rapidly. 
um, ravenously, I think, which is nice to see. <laughs> yeah, are you are you usually a dystopian um, uh, film and and book buff? I appreciate them. Uh, I guess I'll make my comparisons with this particular book soon enough. Um, but I I do like it when a, I actually watched a more recent movie uh, called 2067, mm. which while it first comes off as very dystopian, oxygen is running out, CO2 levels are killing everyone. Mm. Like it's just breathe, like all the plants are already dead. Sounds like, lovely. <laughs> But the ending is one that fills you full of hope, that that I actually really like when there's a sense of, oh, you know, maybe we could turn things around. Maybe something will happen. One person will make a difference or one would hope, I think, a group of people make a difference. And I guess in this case with um, Fahrenheit, it's those who keep knowledge going. Uh, Knowledge is information. Knowledge is – sorry, knowledge Mm -hmm. is power. Yeah. And – We've always carried it through one medium or another, even if it meant keeping it in our minds, keeping it remembered. Mm. It's better than not having it at all, I think. For sure. I, think the, I guess I guess the, the biggest comparison is the use of technology and its, um, its power to make us just forget or just, just numb our minds and not think for ourselves. Yeah. Well, this, this whole book, when I was reading it, um, it reminded me a lot of the the TV show um, Black Mirror, um, just in terms of some of the concepts. Um, but you know, you you sort of touched on um, you know information and knowledge. Um, this book it really emphasised how, and he was actually quite prophetic, I think, Brad Breen, some degree, because he was talking about how the t- the television would become this massive part of everyone's life. Yes, you, well, yeah. it's not just television, but I guess yeah. the way that it's probably might have been a little bit different from what's the reality, but mm. we carry around screens everywhere we go. Absolutely. There's screens in our cars now. Yeah, and um, one thing that I also, I also noticed in the book um, was this um, United States in 2049, they've had another, they've had a second American Civil War, and there's a president. His name's President Noble, and it's obviously some sort of dictatorship. And they talk about how um, there's this, there's this character, this this teenage girl in the book called Clarice, and um, the main guy, his name is Montag. Oh, well, it's his surname Bye. anyway. Bye, and Montag. she, yeah, that's right. And she, she basically tells him that her uncle used to tell her stories about what life was like before this regime and how people used to have um, porches and patios and verandas at the front of their house. And now architects um, had to get rid of them because not only didn't they look well, I'm just sort of paraphrasing from the book, but yeah. um, yeah. It was that they didn't want they didn't want people to be sitting on the patio or the veranda, just talking and thinking. Um, they saw that as the wrong kind of social life. Um, people talked too much, and then they had time to think. So they got rid of porches in the design of houses, and and then they had these um, TVs, um, which they referred to as the relatives. So the TVs were, were like you know the sound in the background was people talking, and so. Everyone was getting a very censored um, amount of information from the relatives, which was the TV was it, in the land room. Was it called the family? 
Yeah, and also the family. Yeah. yeah. Oh, were they were they two different shows? Were they? Um, from my Did understanding, from my understanding, it was the relatives, but um, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Wondering if I read a slightly different version than you. I thought I'd possibly. The same. Possibly. Anyway, whether it's relatives or family, um, maybe he's yeah. not there. Yeah. I wonder if there's any, any maybe some somebody whoever listens to this might um you know point out if there's any significance to that. I mean, could mm. comment on the on the, on the book chat. Just um, um just for some context, I think for our listeners, um, there might be some people that haven't read the book. Essentially, um. Well, that's the idea is to really recommend this to the people. Yeah. Essentially, the story is basically that um, Montag is um, a fireman and he is one of several designated people that actually have to go into um, houses and and burn um, books that um, are basically banned by America and they have one day a year or one night a year where they're allowed to read some of the books just to prove that it's a good thing that they were censored. So this is kind of what happens with Mrs. Phelps. She she cries and gets emotional and then it's kind of like it gives Montag a sense of vindication that, oh, well, yeah, we shouldn't be. We shouldn't be opening up these books of poetry. We shouldn't be reading, you know, Shakespeare or whatever because people are going to get emotional. But they're going to feel the things they should be feeling potentially, or or um, pushing aside healthy healthy expression. Well, yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. Oh yes. Oh, I'm surprised we didn't touch on the basic premise of the main character, as as ironic as his title suggests, the fireman. Mm, do you want to talk a bit more about that? Well, I just think it was interesting the the, mm. the irony behind that title. Yes. Yeah. That once upon a time the fireman would be to save such artifacts as books. Well, that's right. Or they're entrusted with the destruction of of mm. these, these histories, of these philosophies, of these beautiful ideas. Just, I mean, even the language of the, the novel itself is just so wonderful. And to see such such destruction with the fire, but mm. also how how fire has that sort of double nature as well. That, can be something so warming. We can sit around it like, like mm. the porch. It was so that brought us together and and could could create that conversation, but just as easily destroy it. And I think that um, mm. well, I almost wanted, almost almost gave away a spoiler, but I won't. <laughs> without go, without going into what happens, um, obviously, because we don't want to completely spoil it for everyone. Um, Trent, um, I'm curious, what do you think was going on for Montag? Do you think he lost it, in inverted commas? Like, what What do you think? He developed identity um, mm. in his life. Yep. It's, it's um, very much a part of these dystopian authoritarian regimes that try to remove identity from any individual. You, put, you become part of a collective. I mean, this this is to some degree um, more what we're experiencing now, Um mm different groups of people trying to separate themselves, but yet what they do in some way is also create a cohort of same thinking people. Um, perhaps the more, the, the less, the less sensitive group would be say flat earthers. Oh yeah. 
people who still believe that the earth is flat, mm. uh, I think is really mm. fascinating. If you go against that narrative, mm. then you're outcast. Whereas it, it's not that way with, say, um, in normal scientific circles. It's more just a case of present your evidence and we'll look at it. Yeah, we'll I mean, there's, I mean, but obviously there's just so much evidence, you know, f- photographic and visual of, you know, rockets taking off and people can actually see the curvature of the earth. Um, but that, that's not enough for, for some for some people, I suppose. So these are all fabrications, you know. Yeah. You need to, to do the research yourself, which I find also yeah. a somewhat comical term. Uh, yeah. Uh, talking about the idea of researching for yourself. <laughs> when yeah. They're not doing experiments. They're just reading what other people have written. Like so exactly. many ultimately, but it's it is also where we put our faith. And I think that even through the course of this book. There is a moment where where Montag is is told, like he's even questioning, like why am I listening to you? He, he encounters a man by the name of Faber, an ex uh, literature professor. Yep. And, and sort of they become collaborators. And at one point, he sort of questions his collaboration and says, "Why am I listening to you? I'm just just um, you know giving up one authority for another. Like this is yeah. just you telling me what to do now, rather than them." And then it comes to a point where Faber says. To Montag, just look. Your captain, your your fireman captain, has told you his side. I will tell you mine, and it is your choice. It is your place to choose which path to follow, whether you fall or whether you jump. That's your choice. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the way with all of us. We ultimately put faith in in experts or people that might seem more knowledgeable than us. Like yep. yes, we we don't know science. We we couldn't necessarily prove that the earth is round ourselves, but it's mm-hmm. a, it's it's better to, to believe that than than the alternative because it just changes the way things would operate. It's just easier Absolutely. to think that, that um, evolution is probably the way things go because it's helped create so many medicines. Absolutely, and it, and of course, this is this conversation is very relevant to what's going on in, in the world right now. Yes, exactly. Which, which is a whole other, which is a whole other topic. <laughs> and it brings it back to, but then it becomes a lot more sensitive in, yeah. in the these things are discussed. But I think disgust is something they should all be. It, it should with with a uh, with a sense of temperance. Tem- uh, yeah, um, not not to yeah. become aggressive or or um, mm. arrogant in any particular knowledge. It's it's to have the conversation with empathy. That we all believe yeah. different things, and it's really important that we just discuss it again. Come back to the porch, come back to the fireplace, have a yep. have a discussion. Then let's and then let's move on. Let's go have some food. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, and I mean, in in the book Bradbury, you know, one of the quotes that really stood out for me was, "You don't have to burn books to destroy a culture." Just get people to stop reading them. One character I was gonna, I wanted to bring up mm-hmm. the, is uh, is the sort of antithesis of that is his captain. Yeah. How did you? What did you think about the captain? Uh, I think he's a byproduct of the culture that he's in. Um, what about you? Well, I, I'll, I'll bring him up because he seemed to be very well read, mm. tragically so, and yet he uses yeah. his knowledge to destroy knowledge. 
Well, I think that he had become, um, I guess, radicalised um, or or it's a self-preservation method. You know, he's obviously extremely intelligent because of his background, but, you know, if he wants to survive in this, in this world that he's in, he has to kind of um, go with the status quo, doesn't he? But it was so fascinating, the, even the mock arguments that he would create, that he mm. said just before Montag arrived, he had a dream in which Montag had started spouting these quotes of, of long-dead philosophers, mm. and he said, I calmly swatted them away like a, a lion swats away a fly, like this they're irrelevant. I can I can rebuke, I can rebut any argument you come up to suggest yeah. a book's idea with the idea of books. Like his confidence, his arrogance was just was so fascinating. But it was because of his knowledge that he gained through books that he could even do that in the first place. Yep. Yeah. So it was, it was such a beautiful character and and the rage that I felt against him. Like I, I was so upset by this this captain. And at that moment when Mm. Oh, I should probably don't not. spoil it too much. <laughs> it's such a oh yes, mm. what a wonderfully emotional moment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And what did you think about um, Clarice as a character? Like, I guess it was just that she was um, the different kind of emotion. I guess Montag, she mm. um, opened. She she planted a flat, planted a seed. What they would turn into, or, or she, or she, yeah. or she, she stoked the embers that was already there. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because she's at that point in her life as a seventeen-year-old where you really start to question authority. You start to question the world that you exist in. You know, it's it's your rebellious age usually, right? Um, and, and also, I think there's mm. some um, biological or physiological um, reasons. I think as well. Yeah. Like, the fact that she was 17 as opposed to, say, 12, would it suggest that she was also, at the, uh, as, as creepy as this may sound, mm-hmm. somewhat of a um, bringing, bringing Montag to his youth to, to sort of fire up his spirit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't want to say that it's like a purely physical reaction, um, mm. but that she, she certainly refer, represents youth. In its in its vigor, in its rebelliousness, yeah, um, yeah, but also that she was highly intelligent. Yeah, yes. So and it's, it's capturing yeah. a person wholly physical and um, cerebral at the same time. I I get the sense that um, particularly in the fifties, when a lot of these books were written. It was obviously a very uncertain time with the Cold War and I'm getting the impression that during the COVID-19 pandemic, just based on what we've seen as librarians here at the library and some of the books that have come in and some of the subject matter that people talk about, there's more dystopian fiction that's being written um, and I think at the moment there's more being written than there has been for decades, which is really yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah. This is always an anxiety about the future. It's always yeah. the way um, as we develop more technologies, it creates more anxiety. Um, yeah, absolutely. The film When the Earth Stood Still, that was uh, very much about the worry of, of nuclear war, um, that this technology being created, it was that film was made in 1951. Mm. Six years ago, two atomic bombs had been dropped on Japan. Yeah. So the fear became 
what happens if this if we were to expand that to to other planets, mm-hmm. you know, this wider nature that we have, would they even yeah. allow it if other intelligent life existed? Would they let us come out and and be with them, or would they ban us from any sort of galactic federation because of <laughs> our madness? Yeah. But well, then, I just, yeah, they, when they remade it, it was more about environmental change. Mm. So they remade when the Earth stood still, and they made it about the problems that we were creating due to environmental damage. Yeah. So it's very much about the anxieties of the time that then these dystopians. Well, I just read a very good um, book actually a month or two ago called The End of Men um, by Christina Sweeney Baird, um, which you can actually get from our library. Um, and essentially, essentially, just um brief nutshell, um, it's a virus, like, like a pandemic, but it only targets... Um, people that have the XY chromosome, so m- men, right? And yep. it's actually it's actually a very well written book, and it's actually really quite terrifying. But I wouldn't be surprised if that gets turned into you know a movie or TV show, which is a good segue because Fahrenheit four five one has been turned into a TV series and a movie, hasn't it? In the most recent years, in it's particular. Quite, yeah, I believe yeah, it was. It's true. I almost forgot about that. Have you seen it? The um oh, the movie. I guess now that I've read the book, I can I can safely say I will go and explore mm. that because I prefer reading a book first if they exist any other medium. Mm. The book. <laughs> I don't want to ruin my imagination of the characters. The yeah, I know, I know the um the movie that the most recent one came out in 2018. Um, and I I'm really curious to watch it too. It's got um Michael B. Jordan, Michael Shannon in it. Um, and it's directed um, and co-written by Raman Barani. So it's kind of like a, a loose, um, it's loosely based on Bradbury's book. Okay. So it's yeah. got adaptation, which would be interesting to see. Yeah. I um, I usually am one of those, you know, typical librarian, read the book before I see this, the movie or the TV show, um, you know, and, and very rarely is the movie or the TV show better than the book, but there are exceptions to that, of course. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, I hope you have a look at Fahrenheit 451 by Red Bar- Ray Bradbury. Have a look on the catalogue or any of the other books we've mentioned, even if we don't have them, maybe suggest them to be purchased or order them from another library on the Swift Consortium. To do so, go to www.greaterdanlibraries.vic.gov.au and we hope to see you for the next session and stick around for some other stuff coming up. Coming up in the libraries this month are a whole range of great online programs with something for everyone. Our free Libraries After Dark series continues every Thursday with poetry workshops, trivia, life drawing and painting, as well as a Persian calligraphy workshop and more. We also have a range of great entry-level business programs throughout October, as well as our monthly book club, The Dandy Readers. Visit greaterdandinong.vic.gov.au forward slash libraries to sign up and secure your spot. And now, a book match recommendation from one of our librarians, Deborah. Hello, my name's Deborah, and I'm a librarian at Greater Dandenong Libraries. In this segment, I would like to share with you some reading suggestions prepared for a patron using our bookmatch service. They have an interest in the environment, 
enjoys stories with science and climate change in its theme, and a narrative involving nature, animals or connection to wilderness. I can recommend five books which fit the bill. The first three are fiction and then two non-fiction choices. I'll begin with The Breeding Season by Amanda Niehaus. It's the story of Elise, a biologist who has recently had a miscarriage. From this experience, her sense of self is broken and her relationship with her partner Dan under extreme stress, as both try to deal with their pain in different ways. Her solution is to isolate herself in fieldwork and the breeding habits of quolls. While she studies the reproduction of animals and reflects on her own body and self, Dan, a writer, works through his grief by contemplating how the feminine body is portrayed in art and how women are reflected in this. Science and art are used to explore this theme with each gender presenting a different experience and view of sex and death. At the core of this book is grief, which is written with great sensitivity, but what I found interesting was how Elise is drawn to and craves nature as a solution to heal herself. It is so beautifully written and interconnected with nature as it explores the human experience of death, a part of our nature that we often struggle with. The next title is by Australian author James Bradley. Ghost Species is a story set in remote Tasmania in the future where Earth is in a climate crisis. A billionaire who runs a private organisation is involved in scientific experiments and he invites scientists Kate and Jay to meet him with giving them an opportunity to join a secret project. He is interested in ideas to re-engineer the climate by resurrecting extinct species to help restore ecosystems. He shows them genetically engineered plants and live thylacines and mammoths roaming around his property as evidence of his success. Jay is impressed, however Kate is sceptical and concerned about the ethics of it all. The billionaire then reveals his ultimate plan to bring a primitive human back from extinction, a Neanderthal. Kate has her reservations from the beginning, however agrees, because she is curious and an expert in genome sequencing. But questions should they be doing this? A Neanderthal baby is nonetheless a human, and not an experiment, or to be treated as a specimen. And as the child grows, a bond between Kate and Eve grow. However, it's physically obvious Eve is different. She doesn't truly fit in and the story explores her own isolation and exclusion from society. It's a fascinating read that gives you lots to think of and wonder about the possibilities we could face in the future. As science advances, these types of scenarios could come into existence and raise many questions about what is ethical and harmful to humanity. Bradley delivers a very creative way of looking at our responsibilities to the planet and each other, and the need to consider the consequences of our actions. The next book is called The Last Migration by Charlotte McConaughey. How far would you go for love? Franny is determined to go to the end of the earth, following the last of the Arctic turns on what may be their final migration to Antarctica. As animal populations plummet and commercial fishing faces prohibition, Franny talks away onto one of the few remaining boats heading south. But as she and the eccentric crew travel further from shore and safety, the dark secrets of Franny's life begin to unspool. There's a daughter's yearning search for her mother, an impulsive passionate marriage and a shocking crime. 
haunted by love and violence, Franny must confront what she's really running towards and from. The Last Migration is a wild, gripping and deeply moving tale from a brilliant young writer. From the west coast of Ireland to Australia and remote Greenland, through crashy Atlantic swells to the bottom of the world, this is an ode to the wild places and creatures now threatened, and an epic story of the possibility of hope against all odds. The next two titles are non-fiction. Into the Woods, Trees in Photography by Martin Barnes. Wild or cultivated, solitary or within a forest, rural or urban, trees have long provided a compelling source of inspiration for artists and photographers alike. Both as a standalone aesthetic objects and as symbols of broader cultural significance, trees have an understated, sometimes underappreciated ability to evoke a deep primal sense of wonder and pleasure. Whether captured as functional botanical records or as a means of creative expression, this book is an elegant, informative introduction to the ways in which distinctive patterns of bark, branch, leaf and root have continued to offer an arresting subject for photographers across the centuries. With over 100 photographs ranging from the 19th through to the 21st century and supported by insightful commentaries, the images are guaranteed to draw a reaction and engage your thoughts. Trees have always been the backdrop to our lives and yet how often do we ponder their existence? And now the last book, Animals Make Us Human, edited by Leah Kaminsky and Meg Keneally. This book was conceived as a result of the devastating Australian bushfires in 2019 to 2020 and is a collection of short stories written by authors and scientists about their connection with all types of species in the natural environment. It's a beautiful collection of human observations, feelings and experience as the authors share their thoughts about animals, birds, insects, fish and even spiders being a part of their life, directly or indirectly. You will be amazed by the relationships formed and connections to all living creatures. Animals do make us human, and this book makes you ponder your own connections. This book reflects on the devastation of the recent fires and states. The fires were a call to action, underscoring the fragility of our precious ecosystems and what is at risk of being lost. I would recommend this book as an essential read, to remind us how precious all life is on our planet and a need for us to take care of all living creatures we share this planet with. If you like stories that inconnect humanness with nature, you will enjoy these. We have a lot to learn from nature, what heals us, what sustains us, and what keeps us grounded. And reading is a wonderful way to nurture that connection. If you would like a list of recommendations curated especially for you, please go to our website. And now, Robin's interview with diversity and literacy librarian, MyVan. I'm here today with Mai Van, who is the Diversity and Literacy Librarian at Greater Dandenong Libraries. Welcome, Mai Van, to the Open Book Podcast. Thank you, Robin. I'm happy to be here today, too. <laughs> Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about your role? Well, my role as the Diversity and Literacy Librarian involves the ongoing development of adult and literacy programs, such as Library Tech Assist, Coffee Club, 
And the second part of my role involves the ongoing development of our community languages collections at both libraries. Ah, I see. That sounds great. And what are some of the services offered that you'd like to tell our listeners about? We have a fair few uh, programs that are services that are available. So some of them include um, the adult learning help, which assists um, patrons in completing forms, putting together resumes, job searching support and navigating government websites. Some Another program that we do is Conversation Circle, uh, which is usually done in branch where every Thursday people come and meet together and just practice English conversation in a very social and casual environment. However, because of the library closure, we now have conversation buddies running, which is over the phone, one-on-one English conversation assistance, where we just practice conversation with our staff. Um, and mm, yeah. That sounds great. Yeah, that's a good option. <laughs> yeah. And another one I like to highlight is that library tech assist, uh, which is one-on-one assistance in using new technology, uh, including learning how to use social media, how to access library online resources, and it's all one-on-one, and it can also be done to your time, which is quite flexible as well. Mm, that's great. That's a great service. And we also have collections in the library in lots of different languages. So how do you go about selecting items for these collections? Well, the library holds... Um, community language collection in 17 languages plus two where we offer magazines only. Um, Our librarians select items based on popular genres to ensure that this is to ensure that we select items that meets the needs of the community. We do that by collecting anonymous data based on borrowing trends to see what the more popular genres are. We also select items based on patron requests and their recommendations, online reviews, authors, and of course, recommendations from our suppliers who are specialists in this area as well. But we can't cover everything. So if there is anything that you need or author that you like, and we don't seem to have it on the library shelf, come into the library and tell a librarian about it, and we can definitely try and find something for you. Mm, that's really good to know. And in your role, um, what would you say that you've learned so far? I have been working in the library sector for a number of years, but being in this particular diversity and literacy librarian role, um, I only started in November 2019. Mm -hmm. Being uh, in this role, I have had the chance to work with a lot more community partners and industry partners. um, And this is, I think, my biggest growth area. I have become more involved in the development of adult and literacy programs, um, which is also very interesting. And... Yeah, and I suppose one of my more interesting one, I think, is um, when I first became a librarian, I went to an interview for a scholarship, and one question they asked me was, "How, how do I negotiate? Do I know what they wanted to see what my skills in negotiation was?" And of course, being fresh out of university, I was not able to answer that question. <laughs> but luckily, after being in this role for two years and being able to to work with so many partners, uh, whether it's internal or external, I can definitely say I have very much developed a lot of skills in this area. I may not may not have mastered it, but I'm definitely much better than I used to be. And I, for this, I am really thankful to the people I work with because with every one of them, I was able to learn something new, something different, and they really encouraged me to really grow in my role. Mm, yeah, that's fantastic. And what would you say is the favourite part of your job? 
there's a lot of things that are my favourite part of the job, otherwise I wouldn't be here. Um, <laughs> but being able to work directly with the community and hearing the feedback uh, front on, face on, however you would like to put it, is so that I can um, effectively uh, put input into the review and development of programs is definitely a very interesting part because you talk with so many different people. We are such a diverse community that mm. you learn a lot about different things about people. And of course, being able to actively participate in the development of our community languages and literacy collections is just something that's, I suppose that's why I became a librarian because um, I think any librarian will, will agree with me on this, and that is being able to encourage and nurture reading culture, enabling the access of resources and information without borders. It just gives you this really gratifying feeling, I think. Yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah, I would agree. It's one of the best parts of uh, working in libraries. So what are some of the interesting things you're involved with in your role? There's a few things coming up in the next couple of months. We have a seniors festival in October. There are a number of programs aimed at enabling our seniors community to be able to become more engaged with technology. Uh, one particular program I am looking forward to is the My Digital Health Information Sessions, as this is in collaboration with Alia and the Australian Digital Health Agency. This program is aimed at providing education about how to manage your own health information through the My Health Records portal and how to effectively engage with these online services. Mm, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. And then we have our annual faith, uh, sorry, our annual talking faith forum being delivered around mid-November. Our theme this year is Symbols of Hope, and we have had the honour of working with the Interfaith Network of Greater Daylong to deliver this session with local faith leaders. I am really looking forward to it. Mm, yeah, that's some great uh, things that are coming up there. And finally, do you have any reading recommendations for our listeners? Mm, of course. Before I talk about those titles that I've recently been reading, though, I would love to take this uh, chance um, to promote our revamp of the Chinese digital collection on Overdrive. We have introduced a Chinese reading room that you can easily access from the front page of Overdrive. We decided to do something a bit different this year. Instead of our librarians making a selection, we are inviting our readers to make their own selection. And it is super simple. All you have to do is go into Overdrive, go into the reading room, find a book that you like, click borrow, and that's it. These items that are in this room have not yet been purchased by our library, but by borrowing it, you have added it to our collection. Mm, oh, wow. That sounds great. That's um, something for, yeah, people to get on board with. Mm -hmm. um, and what about your reading recommendations? Oh, some books that I have uh, recently been reading, uh, one of them is the Fa Yi Qing Ming uh, series by Qing Ming. This is a Chinese series about a coroner's story of solving crime. It was The first book was published in 2012, and then the books were later adapted into film, which were very popular. If you like the American series Bones, this is something that is very similar, and you'll definitely like it. This series is available in the library and as ebooks on Overdrive. And then, on the other hand, I don't like to read just about death all the time. <laughs> I am a fan of graphic novels. One that I would love to recommend today is called by Yuri Yokomitsu. This is about a bunch of cute characters who find comfort in each other in a corner of a room. It's sort of 
it tells us about perhaps we may not find ourselves in the best of environments, not somewhere we'd like to be, but we have to be no matter what. But however, it's always kind of fuzzy to think that uh, somewhere in this world, there's a corner and friends who we can really find comfort in. So that's what the book is sort of about. Volume one is, of this book is available in the library and volume two is available on Overdrive. Mm. Oh, thank you very much for those recommendations. They sound interesting. And thanks for joining us today, Myvan. It's been great to talk to you. Thank you, Robin. It was great to talk to everyone too. You can find links to all the collections and services we've talked about, including the Chinese Reading Room on Overdrive, as well as the reading recommendations in the podcast show notes. Finally, we have two title reviews from library staff members, Sarah and Niaz. Hi, I'm Sarah, and today I'll be reviewing Lorinda by Alice Pung. Lorinda is an exclusive school for girls. At its secret core is the cabinet, a trio of girls who wield power over their classmates and some of their teachers. Entering this world of wealth and secrets is Lucy Lamb, a scholarship girl with sharp eyes and a shaky sense of self. As she watches the cabinet at work and is courted by them, Lucy finds herself in a battle for her identity and integrity. On face value, Lorinda is a novel about a teenage girl from the wrong side of the tracks entering the mean girl world of an elite private school. And that alone would make for a compelling story, but author Alice Pung digs deep into issues around class, race and privilege with insight, humour and authenticity. Lucy comes from a refugee background lives in a working-class suburb, and as a 15-year-old, she's more educated than her parents. She has to navigate the world as an adult, translating official documents for them and helping with tasks like shopping for the family. Her life is in stark contrast. Her life is in stark contrast to her very privileged peers who are being groomed as future leaders with very little life experience or understanding of the real world. The contrast between Lucy's reality and the world she experiences at school set up a dinette. The contrast between Lucy's reality and the world she experiences at school sets up a dynamic that many young people relate to. The book is equal parts funny and sad, and it has a surprising twist that I didn't see coming. Melbourne-based author Alice Pung is the kind of writer that shows you the beauty and brutality of life. She writes in a way that feels both down-to-earth and highly literary. Lorinda is a young adult novel, and young people will enjoy it, but it's also the kind of story that's becoming a true Australian classic, alongside books by YA giants like Melina Marquetta and John Marsden. If you've read Lorinda and want more by Alice Pung, she has a new novel, 100 Days, out now. Physical copies of these titles are available in our collection, as well as ebooks and audiobooks that you can download from our virtual library. Hello everyone, my name is Niaz from the City of Greater Denham Libraries, and today I'll be re reviewing the film called Nobody. I'm a huge fan of John Wick films starring Keanu Reeves and also the Equalizer films starring Denzel Washington. These films are very similar in that they are about a guy 
who goes about life doing the right thing and minding their own business. Yes, their characters might have shady pasts, but that's the past and they have left that all behind them and moving on with their lives. Of course, that all changes when the wrong people mess with them and hurt the people slash pets close to them. Both characters then set off on a path of vengeance and destruction. As an action fan, I love these movies and I love cheering for the good guys. Bad guys must always lose after all, right? Just like in real life. So earlier this year, I saw a trailer for this film called Nobody, and I thought, geez, this looks pretty cool. I'll have to watch it in the cinemas. It starred this actor named Bob Odenkirk. I've never seen him in a movie before, and all that I knew was that he starred in this series called Better Call Saul, which is a prequel to the very popular series called Breaking Bad. But I'm a very... um, I'm very open when it comes to movies. I'll watch any movie with any actor or actress as long as it's in the action slash thriller genre. I watched Nobody in cinemas in April this year and it was fantastic. It was all that I expected and more. The film was about a family man named Hutch who works your standard 9 to 5 office job in order to provide for his family. However, he is starting to find the job really boring and monotonous. One night, he catches the bus home from work when a bunch of drunken thugs board the bus. As you would expect, these thugs start causing trouble and harassing the passengers. Hutch tries to turn a blind eye, but there's only so much he can take. The blood inside him is boiling and is ready to erupt like a volcano. He tells the driver to stop the bus and tells all the passengers to get off. He then locks himself in the bus with these thugs. He ends up taking care of them one by one. Nice. I was shocked at how dangerous Hutch is. He's slim built and only 5 foot 9, but he can pack a punch. It just goes to show that looks can be very, very deceiving. Now, one of these thugs that he took care of happens to be the brother of a Russian mobster named Yulian. That's not good news, of course, if you're Hutch. Yulian makes his way to America to see his brother in hospital who is in really bad shape. On his last legs, let's say. Of course, this makes Julian very mad and craving for revenge. The rest of the film is about Hutch trying to keep himself and his family alive from the Russian mob. The film has lots of action with a mix of comedy. If you like John Wick or Equalizer with a dose of comedy thrown in, you will love this film. Reserve your copy today on either DVD or Blu-ray at Greater Danong Libraries. Thanks for listening. You can check out the show notes for more information on all the items we mentioned in the podcast, and you can place holds on them via the Libraries Victoria app or at our website, greaterdandenong.vic.gov.au forward slash libraries.